Well, this morning, once again, we're turning to Philippians chapter 4, please. So let's turn in God's Word. Can I add my own words of welcome? And I trust the Lord will bless through the Word that He has given. And trust there will be a blessing and encouragement to your heart. So Philippians chapter 4, and we will commence reading verse 1, reading through to verse 7. And then we'll look to the Lord in a word of prayer. So let's, let's hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odeus, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. And we know the Lord bless, will bless the reading of His Word. Let's just have a moment's prayer, please, and look to the Lord to speak to our hearts, even as we are bowed before Him. So let's, let's pray. Our gracious God and eternal loving Father, we thank Thee, Lord, for the meeting thus far. We thank Thee for praise offered. Thank you for wonderful words in these hymns, psalms. Thank you for one who is keen eternal. And we thank the Lord that there is a throne of grace to which we can bring all our anxieties and all our cares. We thank the Lord you have a deep interest in your people and great love for them, love that is immeasurable from everlasting to everlasting. And we rejoice in this, O Father. Lord, as we come now to gather around your word to hear what the Lord would have to say, as this preacher would give the sense, as I was given the thoughts and the study, led and helped and guided in that respect, I pray now that thou would cleanse me that thou would wash me in the Redeemer's blood from my daily defilement. Lord, that's the, clean, the washing that I need. And I pray that thou would do this. I confess my need of it. And Lord, I also confess the great need of being infilled with the Spirit. And I thank thee that thou hast promised to give the Spirit to them that asked. And so in simple faith, as a child would ask the Father, I pray that thou would grant me the Spirit and that thou would speak to thy dear people, to others who are assembled, who know not thee, those who watch online, oh God, we pray that there will be a word in season, that thou would elevate our attention, that thou, God, would quicken the mortal frame, that thou, God, would give an entrance and a highway for the word, that it might profit all who would hear it. So, Lord, grant us for these things, I pray in Jesus' name, and with an eye to his and thine everlasting praise and glory. Amen. Now, usually when someone rich or successful in business is interviewed, the interviewer will normally at some point ask this pretty standard question. If you could give one piece of advice to a young person or someone starting out in business, what would it be? Now, looking at that from a purely human level, there's a measure of wisdom in asking a successful businessman or woman for such advice. By all intents and purposes, it would appear that they would know what they are talking about. Therefore, it is good advice to take on board. Now, when it comes to advice on how to live the Christian life, 
It's not so much that we're listening here to the Apostle Paul, though a mighty Christian he was, but to the Holy Ghost, who is speaking through Paul and who is moving Paul to write as he did to the believers there at Philippi. The Holy Ghost knows what he is talking about. And if we are to live a life in a manner that becometh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be good for us to take his advice on board and to work it out in our lives. This morning we have another appointment in the Celestial Citizens Advice Bureau in Philippians chapter 4. Now we noticed in verse 1 that the desire of the apostle was that the Christians in Philippi would stand fast in the Lord or by the Lord. And Paul was concerned for their spiritual stability. For he knew that there was much without and within that would seek to move them from the foundation that they had in the Lord Jesus Christ. So under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the apostle, he gives them some divine counsel and heavenly advice. Now James describes such wisdom, that which is from above as pure, then peaceable, gentle, easily to be entreated, full of mercy and good, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So this is not the advice of Paul. This is not the advice of this preacher. This is not the advice of this church or this denomination. This is God's advice. Now the last time we thought about two points of advice given. Firstly, there was advice concerning harmony and then advice concerning ecstasy. Paul knew that spiritual stability... It depended on the harmonious relationships and associations between believers in the church. And there was something there at the church at Philippi that threatened that harmony. Two sisters, Eurius and Syntyche, sisters in the Lord, well, there was a point of controversy between them, and they weren't of one mind. Now, Paul earlier in his letter in chapter 2, he had spoke about having the mind of Christ, and I suspect that the Apostle Paul hoped that that would resonate with those ladies before he actually would mention them by name in the letter. Christ and the imitation of him is the answer to dealing with such problems. And there was an obligation that lay upon both ladies, and there was also an obligation that lay upon others to help in the healing of that breach. Then we noticed advice concerning ecstasy or joy in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And there's always something for the Christian to rejoice in. We can rejoice in who God is, His various attributes. We can rejoice in what the Lord has done. His works of creation and providence and redemption. And you and I as Christians can rejoice in what we are in Him. Justified, adopted, cleansed, redeemed, and preserved. And so, we have those two pieces of advice. Now this morning, it's part two of the, the Celestial Citizens Advice Bureau. And we have two more pieces of advice that I want to consider this morning in verses 5 to seven, advice concerning humility and advice concerning anxiety. So firstly, let's notice in verse 5, 
advice concerning humility. It tells us there, let your moderation be known unto all men. Now, there are a number of words that I could have used for my heading other than humility. I could use the word gentility or modesty. And that's because there is a richness, there is a variety of meaning in the Greek and Hebrew words that are used in Scripture. And the word moderation here, it speaks of gracious humility. Now, in Greek culture, this was a word that was used to describe one who did not always insist on every right of letter or law or custom. Now, it wasn't that they were negligent or dismissive of the rules or the laws that were there, but there was mercy and grace mixed with their attitude. You see, such an individual was not willing, or was willing, I should say, to yield their rights in order that they might treat another in a gentle manner. They were forbearing. They were not spineless. Rather, they were selfless. This is not a matter of weakness. This is a matter of meekness. And such an individual is one who has spiritual strength, spiritual maturity, and self-control. Charles Spurgeon, he made this comment, it takes strength inside to be gentle on the outside. Now, one man gave this definition of this word, moderation, and he says that it speaks of sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. And that's interesting in the context in which this word is given. The backdrop of the two ladies in the church, Iodias and Syntyche, who were imposing their own opinions and pushing their own, as it were, agenda. They were at variance the one with the other. And there wasn't one of them who was willing, as it were, to yield their ground. The whole situation was threatening to sar that congregation. And Paul was saying here that for the sake of peace, we should be willing and ready to yield what we would call our rights, our position, our, our preference. You see, this is what will suppress quick tempers and soften stubborn wills. And this is what maintains spiritual unity. You see, a mark of the ungodly, as the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, is that they are unreasonable. They are unreasonable and, unwicked, or, and wicked men. They are always seeking to get their own way, they're always banging on about their rights. They're always pushing and imposing their sinful agendas. And we are living in a world where more and more people are becoming more and more unreasonable. You know, when the wicked are confronted with facts or logical arguments when it comes to a debate in a moral or an ethical situation, well, they become all of a sudden unreasonable. They resort to name-calling. They resort to insulting. They resort to labeling accusations of, oh, well, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're filled with hatred, you're filled with intolerance, or else they resort to violence or they run away. You can't sit down and reason with such people. 
And you see that in the public realm. Unreasonable men. But the mark of the child of God is this. You and I should have sweet reasonableness. You see, those who exhibit such a quality, they are demonstrating Christ-likeness. Remember, we learned about that in Philippians chapter 2 in the verse 7, where we read there of the Lord Jesus, and He made Himself of no reputation. He set aside the rights and the prerogatives that were His as God as He took on the role of mediator. And what a sweet reasonableness there was with the Lord Jesus Christ as He lived on this earth. Now this humility of spirit, this sweet reasonableness, as it tells us here, that your moderation be known unto all men. This was something that others are to see demonstrated in our life. It's not to be an ostentatious display, but it's rather how you and I should react when we are confronted with something that cuts across our rights, our, our preferences. It's not the way that we would have done it. This is something that should be known unto all men. It's not something that should simply reside in the heart. Because that's what we read there. It finds expression and conduct because it's known by experience by other men. How is that done? What's well, some practical examples? Well, brethren and sisters, if some other brother and sister in Christ has an opposing opinion to you, and maybe it falls in their direction, well, that means that you are to continue talking to them. You are to continue to treat them the way you did before that variance of opinion came. That's how your moderation, that's how your sweet reasonableness is known unto all men. It's not so much what you think you are. Oh, I'm a reasonable person. I'm a reasonable man. I'm a reasonable woman. It's so clear that that's the way that ought to be. Well, that should be shown to all men. This is what the advice is given. We're traveling to celestial city. That sweet reasonableness should be demonstrated in our lives. Are you? Am I known as a sweetly reasonable person? Now, I don't think it's wrong to think of this word moderation as how we have come to understand it in the English. A word that means the avoidance of access or extremes. And these believers here, I also believe that Paul was saying they were to indulge in no excess of passion, of dress, of eating, or drinking. They were to govern their appetites. They were to restrain their temper. They were to be examples of those who are traveling to the celestial city. They were to be different, in other words, and that difference again, was to be known by experience by all men. Experience as they observed them, as they listened to them, and as they interacted with them. Now again, the challenge comes from the Word of God to all our hearts. Is our moderation? Is our difference? Is it known to all men? Or are the lines of demarcation becoming blurred between the church of Christ and the world? Paul goes on to say here at the end of verse 5, 
He says, the Lord is at hand. Now here's the reason why you and I are to be moderate. Sweet reasonableness, humility, gentility, modesty. That difference in our life. Here's the reason the Lord is at hand. Now when something is said to be at hand, it's near, you can reach it. And so we could read it like that, the Lord is near. Now this can be understood in two ways. Either this is spatial in its nature, or else it's chronological. We could say that the Lord is near with respect to His presence, where the Lord is. Or we could also say that the Lord is near with respect to time and His return. And the context here, I have to say, in the Greek doesn't give any any indication in the way in which this is to be taken. So I believe both ways can give us instruction. Firstly, if we're to take this as spatial, the Lord being near with us, then we can live in the confidence that no matter what we face, the Lord is at hand to help. He is, as the psalmist describes, a very present help in trouble. You know, there's no greater source of spiritual stability than the confidence that the Lord is near you. Not only near to hear, but near to help. You know, Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, he spoke of his time there at Ephesus. And it wasn't all rosy, it wasn't all church planting, but he faced opposition. But this is what he was able to write to Timothy. And notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. The Lord was at my right hand. The Lord was near. And then the Lord strengthened me. Yes, there is one who is with us. He is ever near to help, but also he's ever near to observe. He sees if we're being moderate or not. He is there if we're being unreasonable. You know, I suspect if, that our attitude and our speech and our mannerisms towards one another in the midst of opposing opinions would change. It would be tempered if the risen Christ was physically standing at our side. And yet by His Spirit, He is at hand. He is. I remember, and and it sticks with me. It sticks with me when I was in assembly in school, and and one of the men from our congregation came in, and and he did assembly, and and he brought this point about the Lord ever with you, and ever near you. And that really stuck with me. And he, he says, imagine the Lord was always at your side, always there, always observing, never left me. And brethren and sisters, So often we're unreasonable, there's soreness there, and yet the Lord is at hand. He's right there by His Spirit. And that's how we should always be thinking, how we should always be living, that the Lord is near. But secondly, we can take this in a chronological uh, aspect. But the Lord's return is imminent. And the same word is used that way in Matthew 24 and the verse 33. And this will also help us to be moderate moderate in our living. To be humble and gentle in our manner. See, God will deal with the rights of Christians that have been violated. 
He will vindicate his own cause. The Apostle Peter, he speaks about the nearness of the Lord in this manner. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, please. 1 Peter chapter 4, he speaks about the nearness or the Lord being at hand, speaking of his return. And then he speaks about the impact that that should have in our lives and how we should live in the light of that knowledge. 1 Peter chapter 4 and the verse 7, we read these words, But the end of all things, here's the words, same words, is at hand. And then it goes on to say, Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer, and above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now you can't tell me that doesn't speak about being sweetly reasonable, being sweet in character and in nature, in the light that the Lord is at hand, that He's coming again soon. Here we have advice concerning humility. And again, that's another major theme in this little epistle. Advice that when heeded will help us to be stable. But secondly, and I have only two points this morning, we have advice concerning anxiety. Advice concerning anxiety. Paul, he had been reminding them and reminding the believers about the nearness of the Lord, either His presence, or to use a Greek word to keep alliteration, His parousia, His coming. Either His presence or His coming. And he follows that up then with an exhortation that believers should not be anxious or worried. Now surely this is advice that's applicable to us all. Now I know there are people and are of a more nervous an anxious disposition in others. But here's advice for us all. Verse 6, he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Paul tells them not to be anxious. And the Greek, the form in which it is, and in the grammar, it indicates that they were anxious, but they were to stop it. Doesn't mean that they were to be careless, but it means that they were not to be full of care. Now, the Lord Jesus gave this same command in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 35. It's a portion there from his Sermon on the Mount. And four times in that passage, the Lord says, take no thought. And the word there for thought, it literally is no anxious thought. Now, the Lord isn't speaking there about foresight. He's speaking about foreboding. He's speaking about worrying about things. And again, it doesn't mean that we're not to exercise care in worldly matters. No care to preserve our property, no care to provide for our families. No care to look after ourselves or others. It's not talking about that. It's talking that we're not to be full of care. That there's no room for anything else in the heart or the life, like joy or peace. Now the Greek verb translated, the command actually, be careful. It means to distract, to divide, 
to draw in different directions. And that's exactly what anxiety does. Our thoughts and our emotions, they are pulled all over the place. Now another interesting thing, that our English word for worry, it comes from an old high German word, word, worgen. And that's a word that is translated to strangle. And that's exactly what worry and anxiety does. It strangles the joy out of the Christian's life. The Holy Ghost tells us that we are to be anxious about nothing. Nothing stands first in the Greek sentence for emphasis. We could read it like this, in nothing in absolutely nothing. Be full of care. Behavioral psychologists, they tell us that we worry, or 40% of what we worry about, it never happens. 30% of what we worry about has already been done and passed, and worry can't change it. 22% is needless worry about miscellaneous matters that that can't be changed no matter how much we worry about. That leaves the 8%, doesn't it? And that's what we all worry over. The 8%. Those are the things that shake our confidence and rock our stability. But the Lord says that in not one thing that you and I should be overloaded with worry, that it almost seems like it's going to pull us apart. Charles Spurgeon, he said, Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but rather it empties today of its strength. Now you might be thinking, Well, great, this command here not to worry, it makes me feel worse. It makes me worry more, because not only do I worry, but now I'm worrying that I disobey the Lord. And you're maybe sitting there thinking, well, this is just a a round and round cycle. But the Apostle Paul, he doesn't speak in a cavalier attitude. He doesn't say here, don't worry, give you a pat on the back and on you go. No, he gives the, the reason why we should not worry. He gives a solution. And he tells us what we are to do in order that we might overcome our anxiety so that we won't be overcome with anxiety. He says this, but, but, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Here is God's wisdom to counter worry. It is His antidote to anxiety. You see, the essence of worry is that we do not trust God to handle a circumstance. In a sense, we take responsibility upon ourselves for what really is His responsibility. And what we should do is follow the advice here of the Holy Ghost, and in everything, by prayer and supplication, make a request known unto God. Now, the use of both words, prayer and supplication, is not superfluous. It's not just adding word upon word to fill out the letter. But prayer here, it's the more general word that is used of prayer to God. And it has a prefix, a prepositional prefix, that indicates the individual is before God, or they are towards the face of God. 
And hence it has the idea of adoration and worship and devotion to God. And by this manner of approach to God, well, our focus is turned from our cares to our Creator. It is when we have a true apprehension of the greatness and the glory of our God that the mountains of our difficulties and our problems are leveled to the ground. And by comparison, they seem to be insignificant. That's what it means by prayer. You're to focus your mind on your Creator instead of your cares. And then we are to supplicate. We are to make known our specific needs and to make an urgent request for the Lord to meet us at the point of our need. You're to pray definitely to the Lord. You're to present your cares before Him. You see, the Lord already knows all about our needs. But He delights to hear the supplications and the petitions and requests of His people for its expression of their confidence that He is able to meet them at the point of their need. While we are to be careful for nothing, we are to be prayerful about everything. Yes, everything. If it's a big enough concern to you, it's a big enough concern to God. Don't think that the things that concern you are too small to bring before God. If you think about it like this, everything in comparison to an infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God is small anyway. So no matter how big your problem, or no matter how small it is, you are to bring it to God in prayer. Years ago, many, many years ago, the Free Kirk of Scotland was holding meetings in the great granite city of Aberdeen. And the crowds were flocking to that city from all arts and parts, there was an elderly, an old-aged saint of God from the country, and he was making that way to, his way to the city. He was overtaken by a young theological student. There's a great difference in their age, but they had much in common, and so they enjoyed conversation, the one with the other, as they traveled along that road. At noon, they had a bite to eat. And then the old man suggested to the young man, We'll have a time of prayer before we continue our journey. The young man agreed, and he let the elder pray first. Addressing his God as his Father. In all simplicity, the old man, he poured out his heart in thanksgiving for all the mercies he had received, and then he uttered three specific requests. Firstly, he reminded the Lord that he was very hard of hearing. And that if he did not get a seat near the front of the church, well, then he would benefit very little from the sermon. His second request, he, he prayed to the Lord and says, Lord, these old shoes I have, they're not great for walking the old cobbled streets of the city. His third request was that he might have accommodation in Aberdeen that night. Though he had no money and he didn't know where, accommodation could be found. The young man looked upon the old man with a mixture of amazement and disdain, 
think it an improper to bring such trivial things to God in prayer. And then he himself, well, he delivered a very eloquent, carefully composed theological sound prayer, and he never once brought a need to God as Heavenly Father. Now, as they got to the meeting, it was soon evident that there wasn't even standing room left. And the whole church was packed out. And the young man thought, well, we'll see what will happen and what becomes of this man's presumptuous prayers. God has more to do than to save a seat for this poor old saint from the country. But at that moment, the door opened and the old man was able to slip into the entrance hall. And he stood at the back with his ear listening, trying to catch something from the sermon. And at that very moment, a young lady in the front pew, she turned around and she saw the old man. She had been in the congregation. She had been saving a seat for her father, who told her that if he didn't appear, if he didn't come, she was to give it to someone in need. And she told someone to go down to the back and tell that old man who can't hear, there's a seat beside me at the front of the meeting. The first petition was answered. He came up to the front. Now at that time in Scotland, it was custom for some to kneel in prayer, some to stand. The old man was off the kneeling kind and he, he knelt down as the prayer was given. The young lady, she stood to her feet and as she did, she looked down at the soles of the old man and at the close of the service, she approached very delicately the subject of his shoes and she said, Good sir, would you like to come with me to my father's shop? He is a shoe maker. I would like to give you a free pair of shoes. The second petition was answered. When they arrived at the shop, the young lady, she thought, she says, Old man, where are you staying tonight? And he replied to her, and he said this here, I didn't know. My father has a room for me, but he has no told me where it is. The young girl, she took a moment to think, what, what does he mean, his father? Then she realizes, God. And then she said to him, well, sir, I believe I have a room for you. We were saving our guest room for a minister that was to come to the city to preach, but we received a telegram this morning that he cannot come. I have a room for you. Third petition was answered. Everything. We can pray about everything. Child of God, whatever it is, is troubling you. Whatever it is, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that He hears, that He knows, that He sees, that He's willing, make your requests known unto God. See, the consequence of obeying this heavenly counsel that's given in verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is what you and I can expect when we take our, when we take our care to God in prayer. Now we notice here that it's not necessarily those things that give us a cause to be anxious or worried or troubled 
It's not that they are removed, but rather something happens to us, the Christian. Something happens. God's peace keeps our hearts and minds. The Greek word for peace. Well, it has a thought of joining or binding together what is broken and divided, to set it one again. And really, that's the exact opposite of that word careful, which means to divide. But God's peace, it keeps your heart and your mind. God's peace, it stands as a sentinel. And that's the idea behind that word keep. It guards our hearts and minds from being torn apart with worry and with care. And again, the mention of uh, hearts and minds, it's not tautology. It's not just simply repetition or building word upon word to make it sound good. But there's a very important reason here why Paul uses the words hearts and minds. The heart is the center of the emotion. And the affections and the will and the mind, well, that's the center of understanding and discernment and judgment. And you know, those things can be all over the place when worry creeps in. But God's peace, it's that which keeps us all together. In order that we might glorify Him and show forth His grace in us. The Philippians, they would have been familiar with this illustrative language. Remember that city of Philippi? It was a colonial outpost of the great city of Rome. And often they'd have walked past the Roman guards there standing at the gates, standing guarding those gates against the uh, hostile invasion. So too the peace of God fills the heart and the soul of the individual as again an apprehension of God's divine sufficiency through prayer and supplication in the midst of their trouble, leaving no room in the heart or the mind for trouble. You see, our hearts are not vacuums. They're either filled with trouble or they're filled with trust. And as we read in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, Thou wilt keep him, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. In John Bunyan's book, and it's not the Pilgrim's Progress, I often quote it, but it's the other one, Holy War. There's a beautiful picture of all this. There's a city in that book, and it's called Mansoul, and it represents the soul of man. There is the prince of that city called Emmanuel who represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there is another character called Mr. God's Peace. It's his job to guard and patrol the town. Bunyan writes this here, Nothing was to be found but harmony, happiness, joy, and health so long as Mr. God's Peace maintained his office. Then Bunyan talks about how the town of Mansoul grieved Prince Emmanuel. And Mr. God's peace lay down his commission and chaos ensued. You know, that's what happens in the Christian's life. When Christ is not in our thoughts, when we grieve Him by our distrust of Him to look after us in the midst of trial and trouble and difficulty, when we don't view things as God views them, well, then the peace of God is not there. 
to garrison our souls and we're left with troubled mind and troubled hearts. This is a peace, a peace which passeth all understanding. It's a peace that not only confounds the ungodly, as they watch Christians stand strong in the midst of trial, but it's a peace that also the godly cannot comprehend. They cannot explain why surrounded by or facing some great trial that the tranquility of God resides within their soul. You see, peace is the child of God's portion, as Paul writes here, through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. Albert Barnes, he said, to understand all that is meant by these words, through Christ Jesus, is to grasp in its fullness the whole theology of the Apostle Paul. You see, it's only those who are in Christ who can have this confidence and say that our Heavenly Father knoweth that we have need of all these things. Sinner, you're here this morning, and you can know nothing of the peace of God in this world of trouble until you know something of peace with God. See, you need to lay down your arms of rebellion, and you need to have God's wrath appeased. You need to be reconciled to God, and God reconciled to you, and that can only happen through the cross work of Jesus Christ. You can have no peace of conscience, no peace in soul, no peace in life, and nothing whatsoever. I believe the book I don't care what psychological crutch people might lean on. And maybe all our religions or all our counseling. There is no peace, no peace that passeth all understanding except through the Lord Jesus Christ. And sinner, you cannot have that in your life until you have peace with God. And it's only when you trust in the blessed Savior that you will know peace with God. You will obtain peace from God. As, as Paul so often writes at the beginning of his epistles, grace and peace from God our Father. See, peace can only come in the heels of grace. And you will only ever experience the peace of God when you're trusting in Christ. Well, our appointment time is over in the Celestial Citizens Advice Bureau. But the reality is there's only two things that you and I can do with advice in any realm of life. There's only two things we can do with advice. It is either dismiss it and not implement it, or it is to take it on board and work it out in our life. See, the thing is, this is God's advice. Advice concerning harmony, ecstasy, humility, and anxiety. It would be wise. It's for our good and God's eternal glory if we put this advice into practice in our lives as we make our journey to the celestial city. And may God give us the grace to do that in order that you and I, we might shine and not whine 
as we live out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless his word to all our hearts for his own name's sake and may profit be found in it as it's mixed with faith that is given. Let's bow in prayer. Eternal God and loving Father, we thank the Lord for counsel and advice on how to walk the Christian life. We pray, O God, that Thou would make us as Thy people sweetly reasonable, the one with the other. Lord, help us with everything. Lord, we think about it, and the simplest things cause us to worry. And yet, Lord, You have told us here that in everything, yes, the everythings of life, by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving to make our requests known unto God. We pray that Thou would garrison our heart, that the sentinel of God's peace will be ever-present. As we live in this world of woe, in this world of misery, of trial and difficulty and oppression and opposition and all the rest of it, Lord, we confess that the old adversary would seek to wear us out, wear us out with worry, God, we pray that you'll help us. We pray that you'll hear our prayers, that you will answer, strengthening our faith, Lord, and leading us on with thee. God, we thank thee for thy counsel. It's pure, it's peaceable. It's easy to be entreated. Nothing hard, Lord. This is not, will not grieve us to do this. Lord, this is something that will benefit us. We pray, O oh God, that it would profit us and that you would make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, O oh God, I pray that the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit would be our portion both now and forevermore. That I would take us to our homes in safety. Remember the service this afternoon. Remember, Lord, the service this evening. We pray that thou would be glorified in all that is done. For this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.